You ever get in the middle of something and then forget to do something else? All, right, all the guys nod their head. All the wool, all the women in here. My husband does that. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a guy problem mainly. But I f- I figure I'm kind of mature and think that I'm kind of mature. And then things like this happen. Like the other day, I apparently wasn't listening, and my wife comes over and takes the remote and turns it off. And says, look at me. <laughs> like I'm five. And she says, you need to do this. See, I don't even remember. Uh, you need to do this. And, and then she said, repeat back to me <laughs> what it is you need to do. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Lindsay. And, but it's bad. But literally, that, I have to have that sometimes for me to remember what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. We all get caught up in doing things. And some of the more important things that we're supposed to do, we forget. And to be honest, that's the only logical explanation I can come up with with what's going on in Joshua 5. It really is. It's the only logical explanation because what has happened is there is a generation, an entire generation of Jewish people who have not done the one thing that they are supposed to do as part of their covenant with God. They've gone without it. Joshua 5.7 says that they had not done it while they were going through the desert. This ritual act of circumcision was not done for an entire generation. You look and it really confuses you because you know that God is a jealous God. And there are times throughout history, but especially throughout the Israelites' time in the desert, where He comes in and says, you need to change. And then Moses, we see him many times getting very furious at the Israelites for not doing what they're supposed to do. And yet, God and Moses have allowed this to happen. An entire generation who can't be told apart from anyone else. And so I tried to figure out why. And so I I look at commentaries, and they were useless because they don't know why either. And so the only thing I could think of was maybe God allowed that to happen So that on this day, they would know that they're no longer called to look like and act like everyone else. Here they are on the precipice of entering into the promised land, fulfilling the promise given to Abraham all those centuries ago. And God is going to make a point that you can't come in here unless you're mine. And so let's see what happens. Joshua 5. Starting verse 8. It says, After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to that day. God says, Everything that you've known, everything that you've held on to, it's done here. I've rolled it away. It's gone. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, the very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. The day before they leave Egypt, they celebrate the Passover... The day before they leave the desert, they do the same thing. 
And God tells them this is going to be a day that changes from here, what you do from here on out. God comes in and reclaims his people. He says, I don't want you looking like everyone else. I don't want you acting like everyone else. I want you to be mine. There's a wasp. I want you to be mine. I don't want you to be distracted by this, that, and the other. You are mine. And God reclaims them in order for them to go into this promised land that he's called them to. And so Joshua goes out and he meets this warrior. He says, are you for us? Are you against us? And he says, neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And he gives Joshua instructions. This is what you need to do. Verse 2 in, in chapter 6. Then the, We'll start from verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and the wall of the city will collapse, and people will go up, every man straight in. This is crazy. This is a group of fighting men who've known fighting their entire life. And I guarantee nowhere in the warrior handbook is go march around a city, yell, and it will be yours. Right? There's probably diagrams on how to build a catapult and all these other things. But probably nowhere in there is there shout, blow a trumpet, the walls will come down, and the plunder is yours. Right? It doesn't make sense. And I think that this part probably highlights the importance of the first thing we read. You see, when you're wholly dedicated to God, even when he says some things that are a little unorthodox, you have faith in him. I think the problem that we have when we look at Scripture is we look at it through the lens of the things that have attached onto us from the world. We've looked at it, and we see parts of Scripture, and it says to do this, and we say, there's no way that God expects that out of me. And we look at Scripture, and it say, God doesn't work that way anymore. And it's because we've allowed all the things of the world, our friends, our, maybe our family, our workplace, the mindsets of this world, to come in and tell us, this is what's possible, this is, this is not, and if it doesn't fit, it doesn't happen. But you see, when we decide to follow God with everything that we have, things make more sense. When we decide to follow God with everything that we have, we read Jesus say, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when you read that with the world latched onto you, you say, there's no way. There's no way. That's not possible. I can't do that. It's way too hard. Surely Jesus doesn't want me to do that. But then when we decide to follow God with all that we have, we realize that we were once God's enemies because we sinned. And when sin entered the world, there was this barrier between God and man. And the only way that that was fixed was by God sending His Son to die on the cross to raise three days later. And so it makes sense for us to love our enemies. Why? Because that's what God did for us. But it takes wholly committing ourselves to knowing God and trusting Him for us to figure that out. Because otherwise it wouldn't make sense. And so the Israelites stand here in front of Jericho. They've given all they have to God. They've been reclaimed by God. They've restarted their relationship with God. 
And even though what God says to do sounds a little bit crazy, they're willing to do it. And so Joshua tells the people that this is what they're going to do. And so for six days, they march around the city one time. And then we pick up the story in verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the, excuse me, sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Note what he says. He says, don't go back to what you used to do. Take nothing that belongs to God. That's God's. They devote, excuse me, all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to God and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything living in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And then we see that Joshua sends the spies in, and they get Rahab and everybody with her out. And this is the victory of Jericho. This is what we've been taught since we were this big. You blow the trumpets, the wall comes down, God does a great thing, and, and the Israelites are able to go in and take the city and do everything that they were called to do. And the thing is, we all have walls in our lives. We all have walls in our lives, and some of them are self-inflicted. They're because of pride, they're because of addiction, they're because of sin, and they've built up and built up, and we stare at it, and we can't beat it. Maybe that wall's there because somebody else did something to you, and you have a bunch of guilt or shame or anger, and it just keeps standing in your way of a relationship with God. And we see in Scripture that God is a jealous God. He wants you solely for Himself. And so we know that walls need to come down. But the problem is, we just read about Jericho. And we forget about Gilgal. We read about Jericho and stand there and wait for a wall to come down. Without realizing there's a whole lot more that went into it. We're thousands of years removed from this. The Israelites may have been three days when they went and scouted out the land of Ai. Joshua sends scouts out and they come back fresh off their victory with Jericho and they say... You know, we don't even all have to go up here. If we take 3,000 people, we should be able to take them. And so they do. They take 3,000 people and they go up. And they're completely routed. And they run away fleeing. Running as fast as they can back to the camp. The Bible tells us that the hearts of the Israelites melted and turned like water. It turns out that in the conquest of Jericho, a man named Achan took some of the devoted things from God. But the people of Israel only saw, if we tore down the city's walls once, we can do it again. And they forgot there's a whole lot more that goes into it. A couple weeks ago, we were doing the Kiss BG thing. And uh, I entered a conversation with someone, and it actually continued past what do you do, which is a rarity. And I, so we, we started talking, and he said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well... I like to play golf, and I, I like to run. 
And it struck me weird because I used to say I'm a runner. And now I like to run. And I'm trying to figure out when did that stop? And the youth have heard this before, not that they remember. And so 2005, I run a half marathon. Run the whole thing, feeling really good. Three years later, I get a call from the same guy I ran it with and say, hey, let's do it again. In January, marathons in, half marathons in April. I said, sure, sure, let's do it again. Now, things have changed in three years, and I'm no longer running competitively or at all. And uh, my, my running experience is running up and down an intramural basketball court. That's about it. But I decided that in my spare time, I'm going to start training. And, of course, in college, we know that you don't get much spare time between homework and and video games, and so there's not that much time for me to do, so I ran a couple miles here and there, and I'm two weeks out of this, and the most I've run is five miles, out of 13. Five miles is the most I've run, so I I decided that I'm going to try this theory out. This theory says if you can run three-fourths of the way in training, momentum and adrenaline will take you the rest of the way. I think I made it up, but I think... (laughs) So I said, nine. If I can get nine miles, I'm good. And so I start taking off running. I get to mile five, which is what I've been doing. I said, I'm not bad. Mile six, this isn't going well. And mile seven, I'm done. And I stop, and I walk back to campus. And, but I, the race is two weeks away. And so I said, you know, seven's almost nine. And nine's good enough to get you 13. So you're basically there. And so I... I, I go to Louisville, and, and I start running, and I get mile five. Once again, I'm doing really well. Mile six, if you're a runner, you know that your body talks to you a little bit. And I had a, a small burp, all right? And let me translate what that means. It's your body saying, almost done. It's, it's giving you a warning that you better be wrapping this up. But that's not good because I'm at six, and I need to get to 13. And so I say, well, I guess I just got to keep running. And so I get to seven. And then my body says, wasn't kidding. And I run off, and my body tells me in no uncertain terms, it's done running. And so I'm sitting there, and literally thousands of people are passing me. And I am bent over, holding my shorts, and everyone is really nice. The running community really is full of nice people. And I, you can do it. You can do it. But I remember one guy ran past me, and he said, you're already over halfway there. Now, if I'm running two miles, and I've run 1.4 you can tell me that. <laughs> if I'm running 13 and I'm at 7, you didn't help at all. And so I said, what am I going to do? I mean, the best thing I can do is fake passing out and hoping an ambulance can get through all these runners and come and get me. So I said, well, I guess I'm going I'm to run. And so I run to mile 8 and I can't run anymore. So I do this run, jog, walk thing, mainly walk thing, to mile 10. And at mile 10, I said, I, this is it. I, like, I can't do it. So I, I, the most humiliating thing I've ever done, I sit down on the curb, and I sit as more people pass me, and I kid you not, there are six people who are dressed as Elvis. <laughs> and they run past me singing. And it's at that point that two things happen. I said, I'm no longer a runner. And Jesus, take me now. Because this is as bad as it can get. I figured because I've done it before, I can do it again. But the truth is, it wasn't about the big thing. It's about all the small things that I should have been doing to get there. We stand before our walls, 
And we say, I've done it before. So-and-so's done it before. So why isn't it falling? And it's because we haven't done everything else. Let me tell you this. The most courageous thing that you can do is give up. The most courageous thing you can do is say, I give up. I'm through trying it my way. I'm through trying it their way. I'm through trying it the world's way. I'm through. God wants your way. I want your way. And when we do that, this, these words make more sense. And only when we do that will we start to see the walls that are in our life start to fall. I don't know where you are, but I think that there are people in here who need a restart. Maybe it's for the first time and you've tried everything. We've, you've tried all these self-help things. You've tried filling uh, with this, that, or the other. You've tried doing what your friends said would make you happy and you're just left empty. And you say, I, I need a restart. I, I'm done. I give up. And maybe you're like me and, and there have been times in my life where I, I made that commitment a long time ago, but I put things there and things have been put there and I'm, I'm still distant from God and it's because I haven't said, God, I give up. Come in and take everything. Only when we're wholly devoted to God do those walls come down. Israel had to learn that. And we do too. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all those here in this room. God, there's a lot of walls here. There are a lot of people who have felt separated from you for a very long time. And I pray that today is a day where we understand that our first move isn't to attack this wall. It's not to try to climb this wall. It's to surrender and let you do it. You know the plans you have for us. And so, God, I pray that we would be obedient in that and that we would follow you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision for you, that they wouldn't put it off. And that today they would come, come to a God who loves for his people to restart. Who wants to hear from his children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.